Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. And Pastor Jason is continuing in his walk through the book of Acts in this part 32 of the series. Today's sermon is entitled, To the Ends of the Earth. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Pastor Jason is looking at verses 26 to 40. Here's Jason. Welcome. Again, happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers. Praise the Lord for all the mothers in the world. and What a blessing you are to all of us. Again, I am Pastor Jason, the senior pastor here, and we are working our way through the book of Acts. And today we are going to finish Acts chapter 8. So you can turn there in your, in your Bibles. And as you turn there, I want to once again frame our, our minds a little bit as the direction that we're heading. And as my family and I came back from overseas back in 2014, the last so many years I keep hearing a, a phrase that I hadn't heard before, and maybe for many of you that this is a normal phrase and you use it every day, but I hadn't heard it, and that phrase is, oh, that's just random. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's random. Oh, that's totally random. And today what we are going to see is that God is never random. God is in control of all things. And what appears to be something that, that might be askew, that might not make any sense from a, a human perspective, to God makes full sense. Because it's all part of His purpose and His plan. And as we think through the book of Acts and what we've already seen, we, we see God using things that might seem random, but they're not random. Even the life of Stephen, who had so much going for him, that could preach the word that was a servant, that was empowered, filled by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. And yet in Acts chapter 7, what did we see? We saw everything go terribly wrong for Stephen. As he was the first martyr of Christ's church. And we would think at that point, oh, what is going on? And yet the reality is God is still using that. Christ is indeed continuing to build His church. And even though that starts this full-fledged persecution upon the church of Christ by this man, Saul of Tarsus, Jesus is still in control and He's still using all of the, these things to send out workers. And, and we saw in chapter 8, the first worker, the first missionary of Christ's church is Philip. And he's catapulted out of Jerusalem and, and sent to Samaria, where there everything looks like it's going so good, right? And there are many coming to the Lord. And then we, sat, we saw sad Simon last week. And again, things seem to look a, a little bit off, a little bit jaded, but what we're going to see today is that even though there was a fruitful ministry happening in Samaria, and that the Lord was at work 
calling many Samaritans to himself and allowing them to be united with the Jews in Christ, in Christ's church. He doesn't keep Philip there, but he sends Philip on. And he doesn't just send him on randomly. He, he sends him on by his purpose and by his design. And he sends him to this, this man who actually comes from Ethiopia. From the foreign world, from the foreign land. In fact, in this day, back in his day, you couldn't get further away from the Roman Empire than where he is from. And so as I've entitled this sermon, this is what we will see. We will see Christ's church is going to the ends of the earth. His gospel is going to the ends of the earth. Christ's plan for His church is growth and expansion, right? We've seen that from the beginning of Acts. It was not His intention to only include the Jewish nation in His church. It was not His intention to keep His church in Jerusalem. We've seen it expanding already. We've seen it go out into Judea, go out to Samaria. And now what we are going to see is the first step of Christ's church expanding out to the uttermost parts of the earth. Those parts of, of Africa that really were untouched, the ends of the earth. And yet in this, he, he doesn't depict for us the full ramification of what happens He's not going to tell us exactly how many people are saved in Africa. He's not going to tell us exactly when this Ethiopian eunuch gets back to his homeland and then what happens. And I believe that's intentional in order to show us that this, this is part of the gradual progress of Christ expanding his church. And that is what we're going to see today. In, in beautiful, vivid color that that what Christ's heart is is to expand his church out to the entire world so that more and more would come to a saving knowledge of himself that more and more would enter in to his kingdom so turn with me to, to Acts chapter 8 verses 26 to 40 as we see really the second missionary journey of Philip. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, "Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road." So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, "Go up and join this chariot." Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? 
Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would guide us into all truth now. That anything that might be distracting us, anything that we might have on our minds, Lord, that we would lay that aside. And that we would grasp the significance of what your word is teaching us this morning. That we might leave here changed. And that you might use your word in our lives to propel us forward. That we would become more like Philip. Willing to share your gospel with others. So guide our time now by your spirit. In Jesus name. Amen. So what we are going to see this morning are, are really four movements that the Lord uses to expand His church to the ends of the earth. And the first thing that we are going to see is, is this, the mission. And we'll see that in verses 26 to 29, and it happens in an unexpected place on an untraveled road. We'll see the manner by which this mission happens. And interestingly enough, we'll see this in 30 to 34 that actually includes a a ride in a chariot. Finally, in 35 to 38, we'll see that the crux of what the mission was all about, the message. For without the message, the mission makes no sense, and it would be an utter failure. And this message ends up being the words of the prophet Isaiah. And then finally, we're going to see the miracle in verses 39 to 40. And the Lord is going to use that miracle to send Philip on to his next mission. And I think it's important for us as we consider this text before us this morning that we understand where God in His Word and in the planting of His church and in the context has taken us from and where He is going. What is being communicated to us? And as you'll remember last week, we looked at a man that I called Sad Simon. Why was he sad? Because he was a professing believer that was indeed not saved. That his faith was a counterfeit faith. It was a false faith. It was a false conversion. And now what we are going to see in the rest of chapter 8 here, and in chapter 9 and chapter 10, are, are three two conversions. Th- three significant conversions. Three Real professions of faith. And who do we see first? First, we're going to see this Ethiopian eunuch. He's, he's not even named. And then in chapter 9, we will see the conversion of Saul. How the Lord saves him. And then in chapter 10, we'll, we'll see the conversion, the salvation that comes to Cornelius. But today, it's all about this, this man. 
from Ethiopia and the mission that the Lord Jesus Christ sends Philip on to him. Look at verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. As we've seen time and time again, when, when we see a, a contrast word like this, but starting something in Scripture, it is significant. Why? Because it's tying in what was just said with what is going to be said. And many times it's tying in with the point of contrast. So it's contrasting, showing us something that just happened and now he's changing gears. And what he is doing is he, we, we remember that before in the beginning of Acts chapter 8, everything was focused on Philip and his preaching. And then there was this, this change up where, where the, the spotlight comes off of Philip, it turns off, and then it goes on to the apostles, to Peter and John. And we saw that last week. And we saw that in verse 25, that they had actually finished their apostolic ministry, the, the mission that they were on in Samaria. And then they went back to Jerusalem. And on their way back to Jerusalem, they were preaching the gospel in all the villages of the Samaritans up to that point. But now he's taking that spotlight off of them and he's putting it back on to Philip. And I wonder too if there's even more significance, more contrast between the one and the many. Because he just spent all this time talking about this Simon the sorcerer, the sad Simon. But before that, he had spent all of his time talking about many Samaritans who were saved. The many. And now he, he's transitioning into just one man. And as you consider that, you might think, what a waste. For he's only one man. Why would the Lord stop using him in a place where, where there were so many hungry, growing in the Lord to, to send him to, to meet one person? And we will see why it is so significant as we work our way through this text. But first, what we see in this mission is the Lord then sends an angel to him. And the angel speaks. That's the normal word to speak, that he actually used regular language to speak to Philip. And he says, get up and go south. What's contained in that is the understanding that you need to go and perform a certain function, a certain job. The Lord has sent me to tell you to do this job. And what you need to do is you need to go. That's the first part of the job that you're doing. But I'm not going to tell you anything else. But in this, he actually tells him the where. And what we'll see is he tells him the when as well. Where does he tell him to go? He says, okay, I want you to go to this road. This road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. But we have to understand that at this time there was actually two roads that led from Jerusalem to Gaza. And what happened was this, this city Gaza was destroyed by Alexander in, in 80, 96 B.C., almost 100 years before Christ. And at that time, this city Gaza was, was located more in the desert. More on the, so it took a desert road to get to it. But then they rebuilt that city after it was destroyed by Alexander. Some 40 years later, they rebuilt that city and they put the city on the coast. And then they built a new road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And what was that road? Well, that was the coastal road. And so now in this day, do you know what road everyone travels on to go from Jerusalem to Gaza, they take the coastal road. Well, wouldn't you? You want to go through the desert or you want to take the beach? 
You'd much rather take the coastal road as well. And that's what everybody's doing. But that is not what the Lord tells him to do. The Lord tells him, no, I want you to actually take a different road. I want you to take the road less traveled. And what's even more significant is is what he says about the direction that he wants him to go. Because I don't believe it's so much the direction as the time. For this word, when he says, go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza, this word south, it can also be translated as noon or high noon. Speaking in particular of that time of the day when it is that hot, hotter than any other time of the day. And so could it be that even what's more significant than I want you to go on the road less traveled is I also want you to go when it is hard, when it is tough, when it doesn't make sense from a human perspective to do this. Because at this time, who wants to take off on road at this time of the day? No, let's wait a couple hours, Lord. In fact, on top of that, let's just wait till tomorrow and I'll take the coastal road. And so I believe what's, what's being presented here is a matter of obedience and taking God at His word and recognizing that even though this does not make sense from a human perspective, that it makes full sense to our God. And that God knows exactly what He is doing. And the Lord Jesus Christ is working all of these things out. Why? So that as He goes on this road, He is going to meet this person who He would not think He would ever meet upon this road. And Jesus has the idea that He's going to use that particular person to expand His church all the way to Africa. Even though Philip may think it's a terrible idea and a hard idea, and, and, and an idea that would just leave him to be by himself after he has been in this wonderful, fruitful ministry with so many Samaritans. And the reality is, sometimes God calls us to do things that don't make sense. And yet he's with us every step of the way. And he takes something that looks so terrible and he makes it into such a wonderful blessing. We have to remember what's at stake in all of this. The eternal life of a crucial person the Lord is, was going to use to expand His church. And then we see next that, that this mission didn't just include a road. It wasn't telling Him to go and, 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 and just travel a road. But there is more intention behind it that this mission includes going to a man. Look at verses 27 to 29. Does Philip obey? Yes, he does. So he got up and and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. So Philip obeys. And he heads towards this road. And then it says, as he's going, as he gets up and goes, it says, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch. Our translations don't do this justice. It's not just, oh, and there. There, yep, there's an Ethiopian eunuch. No, it's the idea. This is totally unexpected. This is an attention getter. Oh my, I cannot believe it. What is he doing here? This makes no sense. But to God, it makes full sense. 
And when he speaks of Ethiopia, I know you and I tend to think of, okay, Ethiopia, that part of that country in Africa. Yes, yes, okay, I know what you're talking about, Pastor Jason. No, because that, that's not the same back then as it is today. When, when it's speaking of Ethiopia, it's talking about all of Africa south of Egypt. It's talking about a great big area that is close to God's heart. That Jesus wanted to see His church expanded out there. His gospel going to those far reaches of the world. That at this time it was the complete outer edge of the Roman Empire. You can't get any further away than this. And then we see some other very crucial things depicted as to who this man is, right? We see that he's a man who is in a position of authority and that he was important. We know this because he's a court official for the queen. And many believe that the queen was actually more important than the pharaoh. That she wielded all the power. So he's in a position of authority. He's important. But we also see that he's religious. For he'd come a long way to worship. No doubt with a big entourage with him. And then we see this final thing about him that that he is deemed... He is characterized a eunuch, which which means that that he had been castrated. And and this is significant when it comes to worship. Because the Old Testament law prohibited anybody who was a eunuch from going inside the temple grounds. So this would cause him to only go so far. He could only go to, to the court of the Gentiles. He couldn't go inside the actual temple area, even if he was a Jew. Which the text doesn't tell us. So I believe what this is communicating is that really he's an outcast twice removed. He's got more than just the normal, okay, oh, you're a foreigner. No, you're a foreigner and you're a eunuch. You are visibly held outside. You are visibly pushed away. You're not able to come in to the Lord's presence, into God's presence. You must worship God from the outside looking in. And yet, God had other plans. Did He not? Is he, what does He do? He sends Philip to Him. He comes and meets this eunuch himself. The fact, too, that he is reading the the scroll of Isaiah is significant. It, it, it depicts several things about him that you and I may miss. Why? Because if I were to ask you how many of you had a Bible, you probably everyone would raise their hands. Perhaps if I asked you how many had more than one Bible, many of you would raise your hand. If we were to live in this time and ask, okay, how many of you have the scroll of Isaiah? Hardly anybody would raise their hand. Why? Because it is very, very expensive to buy a scroll. Perhaps if you were a Pharisee in the upper echelons of that system. Or a scribe. But not everyone was walking around holding the scroll of Isaiah. This showed that he was a rich man, but it also showed that he loved the Word of God. And that he desired to what? To know more about the Word of God. And so he was seeking God. And we know from God's Word that those that seek God, God will bless them. As, as it says in Jeremiah 29, 13, this is the way he says it. Written from Jeremiah's perspective, speaking of God, 
talking to, to him. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You know, when we were serving in Papua New Guinea, we, we saw this lived out. There was a village about eight hours away from us that spoke an entirely different language. And yet they wanted missionaries. They wanted someone to come and learn their language and tell them about Jesus. So, so you know what they did? They would come and they'd hand me a letter. And actually these letters started well before I ever, before we ever moved there. Years before. And the letter would go something like this. We don't want to go to this place fire, this place of eternal hell. We know we've heard about it and we know that that's where we're heading, but we don't want to go there. Send a missionary to come and tell us the truth. To learn our language and tell us the truth like they're doing in Siawi. And I'd have to tell them, okay, I'll give this to our leaders. And then a little while later, perhaps a couple months, they'd come back. Well, I'd have to say, well, we don't have enough people to send to you yet. And so then they decided in their, in their own thinking, okay, you know what? Most of these places where there's missionaries, there's an airstrip. Yes, let's build an airstrip. And then the mission will send someone to us. So they built an airstrip, but they didn't know that it was too short. And it was on a hill, so they couldn't extend it at all. And again, it it looked like it was such a terrible situation for them. But you know what? Do you know who reached the Anu people? The Siawi church did. As someone came to our village from Anu, married a Siawi girl, he got saved and he became a missionary and is now the pastor to the Anu church. In much the same way, we, we see first an angel tells Philip to go. And then, and then we see that, that he sees this man and, and the Spirit then tells him, reconfirms, okay, yeah, I want you to actually go and get close to him and talk to him. And then what do we see? Look at in verses 30 to 31. We see that the manner by which all of this happens. How does Philip get his foot in the door, so to speak? Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you were reading? And he said, well, how could I? Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So here we're given a glimpse into the manner by what, which all this happened. And what does Philip do? What, what Philip does is he, he gives us a very good example of how to do evangelism. He engages this man with a question. And that question is, do you understand what you're reading? Not do you understand in some sort of experiential way that you've experienced God as you were walking from here to there. No, it's do you understand in a gnosko way, acquiring knowledge through careful study. Specifically here, it's, it's to grasp the significance or the meaning of something written. Notice how, how Philip seizes the opportunity the Lord had given him. The angel nor the spirit actually told him that he was supposed to go and share the gospel with this person, but he understood exactly why the Lord had orchestrated all of this situation to get to this point. And then we see the response of, of this Ethiopian, right? He says, well, how could I unless someone guides me? 
And this word guides here is, is very significant. It means to assist someone in acquiring information or knowledge, to lead with an implication of making certain that people reach an appropriate destination. It's the idea of dispensing truth in such a way that they understand what that particular interpretation and meaning for that passage of Scripture is in this particular context. I think what's implied here is that after going to Jerusalem and after worshiping like he did, he still had questions that the Pharisees, the scribes, whoever he had met with, weren't able to answer his questions. And so he still has questions. And so now he's seeking the Lord through Philip. And in this we see that mere desire to understand God's Word is not always enough. Many people desire God's Word. They, they want to know what it means. But God has given the body Christ has, has given the body His church, teachers, pastors, elders to guide His children into truth. Just reading the Scripture does not always mean that you will understand the Scripture. Just as we see this man, he's able to read the Scripture, but he doesn't understand it. And we saw this back in Papua New Guinea as well. Just because they had the Word of God translated into their language did not mean that they were fully grasping the significance of what that particular book of the Bible meant. And so then we see that, that he then invites Philip to come up and to sit with him. Here we see how, how God is leading in this entire situation, right? There's all sorts of different ways he could have responded. And even in this, you might be thinking, well, how did Philip run and keep up with him all this time? And, and I'll let you know that, that they didn't have to have a chariot pulled by a horse only back then. It, it could have been pulled by an oxen which would go quite a bit slower. But in either case, if Philip was going to actually sit down and, and, and spend time with this man, he's going to have a hard time doing it, walking alongside the chariot for several miles. So this is all part of the Lord's plan to allow this man to understand the gospel, which is exactly what he's looking at. Look at verses 32 to 34. As we see the emphasis placed upon the Scripture, now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to a slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he does not open, a, open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? What a beautiful lead into explaining Christ to someone. The Lord had set up all of this to get to this point. This is where the mission comes into bearing. This is what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to share the message of Christ with this man. And we must understand that, that in order for Old Testament prophetic passages, especially something like Isaiah 53... An understanding of the New Testament just makes it that much more clear. It makes sense of what was written back so many years ago. And in many cases, we need to read Jesus Christ from the New Testament back into the Old Testament to truly grasp the significance. And that is what Philip does here. 
But notice what this Ethiopian, what he asks Philip. He says, so tell me, who, who is this speaking of? The reason why he's confused is because at this time there were basically three different teachings on this particular passage of Scripture, which is taken from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. Some believed, oh, this is speaking of the nation of Israel. And that because the nation of Israel had gone through so much suffering and turmoil, that's what it was talking about. Others said, oh, no, it's, it's speaking of Isaiah is speaking of himself. As Isaiah would go through suffering and, and trials like this. And then others said, oh, no, no, this is speaking of the coming Messiah. That he will indeed suffer. But the nation of Israel didn't like, the Jews didn't like that. They found this hard to accept. Why? Because they didn't want their Messiah to be the suffering servant. And yet even in this, this unknown, unnamed eunuch, he wants to know exactly what this means. Not some general understanding. He wants to know, tell me exactly who this is speaking of. Which is a, a great lead into the message that Philip then gives him. Which is the gospel. Look, look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth. Let me just say something that obviously is, is, is here and easy to see. We, we need to share the gospel with someone. Someone's not going to get saved because of the way that you mow your lawn. Just by watching you. At some point, we have to actually communicate God's truth, right? And, and that's exactly what he does. There's all sorts of different commentators that, that believe, oh, it's, it's the Holy Spirit that opened his mouth and this. No, I believe it's just emphasizing the fact that he indeed spoke, that he answered back to him. And what did he say? And beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. I think the ESV says he gave him the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. And that is indeed what he does. He uses this passage in Isaiah as a springboard into the gospel. And indeed, that's what this passage is. All he'd have to do is unroll the scroll and go back to, say, chapter 52, verses 13 to 15, where it gives you kind of a general picture of what the suffering servant is going to do, that he is going to suffer. But at some point, he's going to be exalted and he's going to be a blessing to all nations. And then he'd, he'd go on and he'd, and he'd go on to 53, 1 to 6, which is right before the point that he was reading. And he'd, and he'd let him know through 53, 1 to 6, that, that this suffering servant will, will be rejected, that he will suffer, and that God the Father will punish him, but it will be for our transgressions, not for his own. And then he comes to this portion which depicts so vividly that the suffering that he was going to go through, he was going to do how? Willingly, not grudgingly, to such an extent that he wouldn't even raise his mouth in protest, but he was going to be silent. All of that, again, speaking of Jesus Christ, that this was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And then perhaps maybe he rolled the scroll up a little bit more and got to... Isaiah 53, verses 10 to 12, which depicts the, the suffering servant 
as an offering for sin to justify many and to bear their iniquities, not his own sins, but the sins of others. Notice how how Philip goes right to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Spurgeon says it like this. He says, the preacher's responsibility, no matter what text that particular preacher is diving into, He's got two things that he's supposed to do. The first is he's supposed to read that text. The second is he's supposed to make a beeline for the cross. And and that is indeed what Philip does. He hears this text and he goes, man, what a wonderful opportunity. I'm just going to tell you about Christ. And he focuses on what the Messiah did. Not what this Ethiopian eunuch could do in order to earn salvation. The complete opposite. Does that mean that man is not involved in anything as a believer? No, we we see that in verse 36. That we are to walk in obedience. And what is the the first thing that a believer is called to do in obedience? It's baptism. Look at verse 36. As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? Isn't this strange? It's like we're, we're only given half of the story. Okay, one time you're talking about Jesus and now all of a sudden he's talking about baptism. What what happened in between? Did somebody else teach him about baptism? It doesn't tell us. It does say as they were going along the road that the idea there is a substantial amount of time took place as they were cruising along in this chariot. And no doubt Philip started teaching him and teaching him more and more about the Christian faith, about the Christian walk. And at some point, perhaps... He took him back to the command of Jesus that he gave to the apostles. That they were supposed to be baptizing all those that believed. And and as a result, later on, they they come by some water. And he says, "Well, well, what's to keep me from being baptized? And then look at verse 37. Perhaps if you have an ESV, you don't have 37. And that's because the ESV translates from a different manuscript, a a Western manuscript that's part of the Alexandrian tradition. So it goes back further. Remember the Dead Sea Scrolls. And and, and so what many of us have is going to be a text that's following more the Texas Receptus, which is what the King James Version used. And I don't say that to say that the ESV is God's word and that ours isn't. No, what I'm saying, it's just the different manuscripts that were used. And so that's why there's a bracket, at least around my Bible, for verse 37. This does not mean that this could not have been included in God's word or that if you take it out that the meaning has changed. No, it's still the same meaning whether this verse is here or not. But look at what Philip says. For this is significant. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. You may what? You may be baptized. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Notice the two things that he believes. He believes first that that he is indeed man. That's who Jesus is. That he is Jesus Christ. But then it also says that he believes he's the Son of God. That he believes that he is God himself. And that's all within this context of the fact that Philip had said, but you need to believe with all your heart. Why does he say that? Perhaps he's thinking back to sad Simon. Do you remember what it said about sad Simon? It said that that his heart was not right with God. And so he wants to make sure that this man's heart is right with God. 
And obviously he believes his heart is right with God. As is presented to us in verse 38. And he ordered the chariot. No doubt is talking about the Ethiopian eunuch because this wasn't Philip's chariot. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Philip baptized this Ethiopian eunuch. Again, it's important to recognize that first comes belief, then comes baptism. Baptism does not impart salvation. It does not lead to salvation. It does not help in salvation. It is a matter of obedience based upon faith in Christ. And so, yes, it is important, but it's important as a believer in Christ that you step forward in obedience to Him in a public profession that, yes, you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And no doubt at this time, I would think that Philip was elated, right? Philip was excited. Man, this is great. I had no idea what was going to happen when, when the Lord told me to go to this road that nobody travels anymore. He wants me to go at noon when it's hotter than hot. And look, you, you bring me right to this man. I share, he's reading Isaiah of all the places to be reading. And then I share Isaiah. I share the gospel. He is saved. He wants to be baptized. This is great, man. This is going to keep going, going, going. But we see that this doesn't last long. As we see what happens next, the miracle. Look at verses 39 and 40 and I'll, I'll wrap things up with this. When they came up out of the water, so they both come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. I believe the plain reading of the text makes it clear and simple that this was a miracle. That one moment, Philip is there. The next moment, Philip is gone. He's in Azotus. Azotus is actually 20 miles away from where they were. One minute, he's in the water. They're getting up. And boom, all of a sudden, Philip's gone. And this Ethiopian eunuch is... Look, whoa, he doesn't see him anymore. And, and what's very encouraging is especially being a missionary and recognizing how much people are that the people were, were were rooted in us as missionaries instead of in Christ. And you would think at this point that he would be extremely upset that his missionary is now gone. But instead you see that 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 he's not holding on to Philip. He's holding on to Jesus and as a result he goes on his way rejoicing. Why? Because There is no greater joy than the joy that comes to those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why he is rejoicing. And again, it doesn't tell us what happens with the Ethiopian. Church history says that he actually becomes first missionary in in Africa. What I think is, is very challenging to me is is, is this fact, and, and let me close with this. What do you think the greatest power is displayed in, in, in what we've looked at this morning? I mean, there's many things that, that have been on display to show God's power and His goodness. You could look at it first and go, maybe it's the angel coming to Him. Man, that would be pretty awesome. And I'd say no. Okay, h- how about the Spirit of the Lord telling Him, yes, go talk to Him? That clear, that direct, that, that, man, that definitely reveals God's power, but that's not the most, the greatest power. Okay, Pastor Jason, I know it's, it's the fact that he was there and then gone, the, this disappearing act of Philip. 
That's got to be the greatest display of God's power in this whole account. And I would say still, you are wrong. The greatest display of power is the fact that this Ethiopian is saved. That he came from darkness into light. That he was blind and now he sees. And that the Lord uses him to take his gospel and to plant his church in Africa out to the uttermost ends of the earth. To God be the glory. And you know what would happen? If this Ethiopian got back in his chariot and he scrolled that, or rolled up that scroll a little bit more and, and, and read chapter 54 and then read chapter 55 of, of Isaiah and then got to chapter 56, verse 3. You know what he would find in that very chapter? Just a couple chapters away from the one that he was reading. He would find that Isaiah prophesied that under the new covenant, even foreigners and eunuchs would not be cut off from the Lord's people. And perhaps he did that and he looked at that and he said, Oh my, are you kidding me? This prophecy is fulfilled today through the salvation that has come to me. And what a story. No doubt this man was changed and in a, in a position of great influence and authority that he could go back to Africa and he could change that African world for the cause of Christ. And that was all what Jesus was doing by sending Philip to a place that he had no idea why he was going there. Let me close with two points to ponder and I'll do them quick points to ponder. Consider how the Ethiopian was hungry for God's word as it no doubt cost a lot of money to purchase the scroll of Isaiah that he was reading. The question for you and I is, how important is God's word to you and to me? If it cost us a lot of money to buy our Bibles, would we still have our Bibles? And if it is something important to us, why do we neglect it? Number two, consider how Philip is told to do something that doesn't make any sense at all from the human perspective leaving a great fruitful ministry in a nice city to travel to the, in the heat of the noonday sun on a deserted road. But in God's plan, this makes perfect sense. He'd already planned for the Ethiopian to be there on the road at exactly the right time. Why? Because God's ways are perfect. Pray the Lord would open up doors of opportunity for you and I this week to share the gospel with someone who God has already prepared, much like this Ethiopian eunuch. Let me close our time. Heavenly Father, we, we do, we stand in awe of your, your matchless name, your wonderful glory, and the power of your word. To know that just a couple chapters away from where this Ethiopian eunuch was reading, that it actually prophesied that eunuchs would be brought in to a right relationship with you, Lord, that just blows our minds thank you for giving us your word continue to transform our minds and allow us to grasp fully the significance of what you are doing by building your church and use us to let others know about the matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ Amen Hey, thanks for being with us today it's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, 
and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.